Hi everyone, welcome to Nerds of a Feather, a place where nerds flock together to talk about all things fun, creative, and nerdy. I'm your host, Parker Randalls. I'm your co-host, Mark Williams. And I'm your co-co-host, Noah Helsey. Thanks for joining us. people have been excited about this episode this week we're going to be talking about our favorite fantasy book series let's get nerdy (laughs) that's right it doesn't get it doesn't get much nerdy than this we're going to be talking about uh three beloved series on tonight's episode but before we hop into the content and start talking about these different fantasy book series we are actually very excited to introduce our first ever Guest co-host. Randy Boone, please enter the stage and introduce yourself, my friend. And in order that might surprise you. And in order that might (laughs) surprise me, yeah. All right. Well, so as Parker mentioned, uh, my name is Randy. Um, I guess guess I met all of these guys in college. Uh, I lived with Noah for four years right yeah four years um led with him my freshman sophomore year met mark my sophomore year led with him my junior senior and super senior year and somewhere along the way parker joined our friend group and we've been pretty great friends ever since um we never could get rid of him after that (laughs) dude it was it was so hard um we're still we're still trying to we're, we're still trying to pass him off to other people but it just hasn't he hasn't stuck to anything yet so <laughs> rough you know what's um, bad about that randy is they literally made that same joke in an earlier episode you know the first time i kind of laughed it off but now i'm kind of wondering <laughs> it's like huh no, this don't is worry, actually we're real still joking yeah, we're, we're still joking parker don't 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 worry about it we're, we're just joking <laughs> i promise I hate you. Introduce yourself some more. Tell us about it. Yeah, so um, I am a recent college graduate. Uh, graduated with a bachelor's in economics, um, which, you know, is so tied to fantasy in so many ways. Um, you know, I, um, gosh, I don't know. I think when I first, because we're talking about fantasy series, uh, I guess my initial up for fantasy came for me, uh, when I was younger, Star Wars really got me into the kind of like fantasy. Um, prequels are dope. The, the, the pre- prequels are dope. Uh, kind of the nerdy aspect of who I was. And then coming to college, just living with uh, Noah freshman year um, and seeing how nerdy he was, just kind of got me more excited about nerdy things as well. Um, let's see what else. Um, okay, then called out. <laughs> It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Nerds are awesome. You know us nerds. Nerds of Feather have to stick together, right? Hey, there's a great name for a podcast. Hey. <laughs> That's right. So that much better than the last one you came up with, which was terrible. <laughs> I'm going to share it. I think it's a great title. It's a terrible title. Please don't share it. Please continue with your introduction. No, no. Hey, wait, wait, wait. I, Randy came up with an idea for the name of this podcast. I have No, to, for the oh, name of another podcast. For the name oh, of the another name. podcast, which I think is a great name, describes exactly what they want to talk about. It was called Illuminescent Essence. I know what you're thinking. Wow, that is such a great name. So listen, <laughs> so, so Illuminescent Essence. They wanted to talk about like light, basically. Um, like light and 
uh, novels, um, and they wanted to get like to the heart of things, you know, so the essence of things. And if you take the initials, it's IE, like IE, you want to talk about this. It was an amazing title. Lots of thought went into it. It was great. The other person loved it. You can ask him. Um, it was fantastic. It really should be the name of a podcast, just saying. <laughs> it makes me angry every time I think about it. <laughs> well, Randy, I'm so glad that you illuminated us about yourself a little nice. bit. Nice. Uh, I can't wait there. to the essence of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so without further ado, Noah, why don't you start us on our wonderful journey into a deep dive into your favorite fantasy book series of all time? I feel like it's going to be more of a shallow dive, but without the neck breaking at the bottom of the pool, we'll hope, try to avoid that part of the story. Speaking of a shallow dive, and I think this is important, if you're listening, um, we're going to try to keep spoilers to a minimum for these book series. However, if you hear the name of the book series appear um, and you don't want any spoilers at all, uh, this may not be the perfect episode for you, but if you want a little bit uh, in, a little bit of information about the book series, you want to learn a little bit more about what it's about, what are the good things uh, that we love about it, Definitely still listen, um, but we just want to give you that fair warning before you sit and listen to the entire episode. So Noah, illuminate yes. us. We will try to keep to speak in as generalized terms as possible, but it's kind of impossible to talk about a book series without sharing at least some details about it. So I am actually talking about the Harry Potter book series. Yay! <laughs> Yay! So it's. I was thinking about this leading up to the episode, and I think when things are super popular, there's a tendency by a certain group of people to want to like find fault with those things or to like think, oh, that's just for kids. Or if it was popular, there must be like something stupid about it. Like there must be reason. But I think we kind of like take for granted the impact that the Harry Potter series had on culture, especially like even the idea of nerd culture and like people being proud to like congregate as nerds like Harry Potter has had such a huge influence on it in college Randy and I were part of a group that put on these really big events at OU and we did a Harry Potter like night we like decked out this massive ballroom in like hog to make it look like Hogwarts and we had all sorts of stuff and it was crazy these are like college age kids who like grew up with the books. And you know, these are people who are, are adult, basically adults at this point. They're no longer, you know, like teenager, middle school kids. And the amount of passion that people had still for Harry Potter up into their, you know, early twenties, even it was amazing. It was like people had this nostalgic love for this thing that they had grown up with as kids. So I didn't actually read the books growing up as a kid. Um, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> we don't even talk about the reasons for that, but, um, I love my parents. They've grown a lot. They're uh, no longer as strict as they used to be. But anyway, <laughs> so, but uh, for a couple of reasons, I didn't read them growing up. So when I read them when I got to college. Um, so I read them when I was 20 years old, not when I was younger. But I'm kind of glad almost that I didn't read them as a kid because I feel like I was able to appreciate the genius behind some of what Rowling was doing with her writing more as like kind of on the edge, like right as I was becoming an adult that I wouldn't have been able to as a kid. I think as a kid, I would have had enjoyment of like the sort of nostalgic feelings of it more, but I wouldn't have been able to appreciate just what a great writer Rowling is. And I think because they're kids books and because she writes in such an approachable way, especially in the early books and all the, if you've never read them before, there are seven of them and each book follows a year of like time and each book progressively, the writing level increases 
as the age of the children who are reading them increases. So if you start off reading the book when you're 11 years old and you read book one, by the time you get to the seventh book, which was like about 10 years later, so you're like 21 at this point, the characters have aged, you know, this certain number of years and the writing style actually grows with the characters to accommodate deeper and more adult themes. And even in the first book, I'm re-listening to them right now on Audible. And even in the first book, I was kind of amazed at some of the like, super mature themes that are already being introduced in this book, which came out in like 1997. And yeah. the main characters in the first book are all like 11 years old. And yeah. there's like murder and like death. And like you get to like places later where there's like slavery and classism and like all sorts of like, like almost even like racism in places too. Like there's so many like deep themes that she's dealing with in a book about kids who want to be wizards. And I just think she did such a great job of writing a story that was both interesting and engaging for children, but also intelligent enough and had like enough like depth to it that it was interesting for adults. And the way she was able to world build as the story progressed, rather than like, here's my world, let me explain it to you. It was like just little details of stuff as things happened that sort of introduces it organically as it goes. I just wanted to give one quick example of Rolling being a genius at writing. So in the first book, this is a very minor spoiler. This would not ruin anything for you in terms of plot. But there's this scene in the first book where Harry is sitting on the train next to Ron. And he gets this like little card in a magic frog. There's a there's these chocolate yeah, magic yeah. frogs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they come. They're like almost like baseball cards, like trading cards, but for wizards. It's hilarious. Which is just a, anyway, it's just a great little world building detail on its own. So he reads this thing. And it's kind of a, it's not a throwaway line, but it's like a super minor detail. So later in the story, they're doing some investigation because they're trying to figure out like what, what's going on. And we're like the villain, we're like trying to figure out if the villain's coming back and there's this whole thing going on. And Harry goes, they come across this name and Harry goes, I've heard that name before. And you as the reader are thinking, I've heard that name before. And then later Harry goes, Oh, I know exactly where I found it. And he goes back and he finds the trading card that wasn't even about that character specifically, but the name of that character was written at the bottom of that trading card. So you, as a reader, are experiencing exactly what Harry is experiencing because you, as a reader, then go back and you scroll back in your pages and you go back to that exact page and you see, oh, I also read that at the exact same moment that Harry read that. I also forgot about it, just like Harry did. And I also remembered it at the exact same time that Harry did. That's really cool. Rolling is a genius. That's just <laughs> one example. And also, this is why we're not going to speak in very generalized terms. Rolling's plot twists are like crazy. Like every, single, every single book ends with like an amazing plot twist. And it's so, she's just, they're just such satisfying books to read because nothing is really wasted like even the fifth book which is like notorious for being way too long <laughs> people like complain about it even the yes. fifth book like she does it intentionally like none of it is wasted there's no point in the story where something isn't useful or doesn't add to the ending and the way she can tie everything back together it's almost dickens-esque the way she can bring all the minor characters all the major characters into one final conclusion is almost like just it's just an amazing talent that she has yeah, it's funny you say that because I actually love uh, The Order of the Phoenix. That's the name of the fifth book. That's my favorite yes, one. Yes, the fifth so, one. It's uh, great. It's just really long. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 the question I wanted to ask you, Noah, is, and you might know this, did she write with the Indian 
in mind? Like, did she know how the characters were going to end up in the story? Because I, I often wonder, you know, some authors, they kind of tell a story in such a way that they know how they want to start and they know some of the major plot points and then they know exactly how they want to end. But the, the journey in between, they kind of fill in as they write. And then some authors, from my understanding, is, is they have a character they love. This is the antagonist that they're going against, whether that be a person, nature, whatever. And they just kind of let the words flow and they kind of create the stories they show. Sure. So I know she did have some plan ahead of time. I don't, someone who knows more about like the behind the scenes of it would have to, maybe someone in our on discord channel could like comment and tell us more information, but it's actually, it's kind of crazy actually reading the first book, knowing what happens at the end and going like, did she plan that? Because that's perfect. Like, like even the way she introduces certain characters and you know, the end of their story, like, you know, where they end up, even if the care, like in the moment you don't. So I think she, I know she knew somewhat what was going to happen. I don't know how much of the details she had planned out. I, I think it was probably a little bit of both. Like she probably did know some of the like major plot points down the road, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure she didn't have every single detail planned out as she went, but they're remarkably I don't know what the words for it. They fit together really well. Like the yeah. books, there's they're very um, episodic in nature, and so even though they grow and get longer, they just they fit together really well. And it's amazing how like something she sets up in the first book, what, the plot twist payoff doesn't come till the end of the third book, and then something she sets up like in the second book stuff. I mean, they're almost like chiastic. Like the first and the seventh book are parallel. The second. And the sixth book, the third and the fifth book, and then the fourth book is like right in the middle. And it's pretty remarkable. Almost like the original Star Wars six movies, how like the prequels and the uh the original trilogy, how like there are like scenes like that are shot for shot, third and the fourth movie, and then the second and the fifth movie, and the first and the sixth movie, where Lucas like specifically did it in a way so that it would look parallel to the story that was being told in the originals. She does that a lot in her writing. And that's actually uh, one of the things, so I was also kind of late to the Harry Potter trend, but one thing that I do love about her books, and the fantasy series that I'm talking about is also going to kind of, I'll highlight this again, but um, she never wastes any time. Um, like, there's always, like, one thing that's happening, and then the next thing is happening, but it also doesn't feel rushed in any sense. Um, and in some of our conversations off air, um, one of the things that no one I talk about is it seems like she never wastes a word. Like every word has a purpose. Also, it's fascinating how well she does with characterization in limited time. She doesn't like introduce a character and say, and this is what this character is like, but the character will say like five lines of dialogue and you're like, I got it. Like, I know exactly what to expect of this character for the next seven books. And yet she doesn't, allow her characters to just be stereotypes at least not like the main ones like the most of the main characters have very specific flaws very specific strengths and you see them mature and grow over time to where by the time you get to the seventh book you're just like oh, i just i'm so happy for this character because i remember how annoying they were then or i remember what they were like then and now look at how much they've grown and improved so have you seen anyway, the movies i am not a fan of the movies so okay that that was my question I, I've, I've, I've heard... seen all of them but i did not connect with them the same way that i did with the books but i think yeah, I, yeah. even that's interesting though because i think the movies even are were such a huge cultural thing like people were yeah. go at midnight like they they were like the end star wars like on the same level as like where people go like not at the same level nothing can really compare to star wars campouts people being there for like three <laughs> weeks before it comes out but there were people that would go at midnight 
and this was like before the MCU really took off and became a thing. Harry Potter was like that. Like people don't remember as much because it's been about nine or ten years since the, the nine, yeah, like nine, ten years since the last movie came out. But they were huge. Like people yeah. would camp out. People would go see them at midnight because they were so excited. And so even though I'm not a huge fan of them, I'm still really grateful, again, for the cultural impact that it's had and kind of like making being a nerd cool. Yeah, um, I grew up reading them. I remember specifically in third grade, I got the first Harry Potter book and I was hooked. And I think around that time, she had around three books out. So I was able to read the first, the second, and then the third. And after that, I was waiting and waiting. <laughs> and I read them as they came out. And they're like written crack, basically, <laughs> when I was that young. Because like when I'm that, that's something that's super appealing. Because when you're that young, you don't pick up on the adult themes. You don't pick up on the how well she writes unless you're a genius third grader and you know how to write so well. I was not that kid. Um. But it was still enjoyable for me because of the magic system she built and like all the cool things that she did in her books. It was still appealing to me as a third grader and growing up. As it is, I reread the first three um, last summer um, just because I had a lot of time last summer. And so I just powered through them and I just stopped there because I just haven't read the rest. And I like reread them as an adult. I'm like, oh my gosh, this still carries over as such a great story. But also I still have the nostalgia aspect of like, I read these as a kid and I waited to watch them for the movies. I waited for the movies to come out. So I was reading the books along with the movies, which was just a cool experience growing up. And I think because they're students in the actual story and they're written for kids that are like the same age as the characters, they lend themselves to a particularly powerful kind of nostalgia that's really hard to replicate in any other book series. Like the Percy Jackson series is probably the only other thing I can remember reading that felt similar because they were like kids that were like, and Rorden was clearly looking at the success of Harry Potter and using some of those same techniques when he wrote his story. You can like, like it's so it's funny how similar, like some of the ways that he writes are to what Rowling did, but because you almost felt like I, I am a student at Hogwarts. Like mm -hmm. I'm one of these kids, like I'm included in the story. And there's something that's so like powerful and beautiful about that, that I, I can't really, there's not another story I can think of that's that sort of immersive and relatable, like as a teenager growing up. So something cool that's happened. I, it was a meme a little bit where it's like different book series and all that, where it's like, uh, I didn't get this at this age. And one of them was, I didn't receive my letter to Hogwarts at 11. Like kids wanted to receive their letter <laughs> right. to Hogwarts at 11. And like, that was like a huge cultural trend is like, I want to go to Hogwarts. I want to go to Hogwarts. I want to go to Hogwarts. But like, obviously not real. It's fantasy. But it, for it to impact even art, like as we are older, people are making memes of, I didn't get my letter to Hogwarts when I was 11 years old. And that's, that's crazy. Three years ago, when that book for book first came out in England, it was ninety seven. So like, it's almost as old as some of the people on this podcast, <laughs> if not older. All right, Noah. Before we transition to the next fantasy book series, tell us your favorite character in the Harry Potter series and why, in the shortest terms possible. Dumbledore, because he's brilliant and hilarious. That's <laughs> 
and he's like the man he's just like the mentor character (laughs) anyway i really love dumbledore i know that there's like controversy about that i don't care i love dumbledore anyway so i do have excuse me one question before we continue on to our next fantasy series um and this is a question that y'all can answer or maybe it's a question that you can post on your discord and like have your followers answer but do you think uh, because remember harry potter i think you said came out in 97 is that correct it was like 10 years like 97 to 2007 i believe the last book came out in 2007 i had it pulled up here let me make sure but yeah so do you think because i can't and again i was born in 95 so i was like two when the first book came out but do you all think that with the uh release of harry potter and like noah said like the people waiting like in line for like two or three days just to go see it at like the midnight premiere do you think um that harry potter was the thing that kind of made um fandom or nerdum or just geeking out over like all of this fancy stuff do you think that's what made it more popular and kind of more widely accepted i think it made it more widely accepted for our generation yeah because if you look at star wars people were nerding out about Star Wars. Look at Star Trek. People were nerding out about Star Trek. If you go through every like major fantasy or jaunt, like major film, there's people nerding out about it. Harry Potter was the one for us that we freaked out about that made nerddom and fandom popular. Is, that's what I thought. Harry Potter and like the Star Wars prequels is like the millennial like experience, like growing up with like those were two just massive cultural like the amount of effect it had even on like the toys you would buy at Walmart, you know, it's pretty wild. So, all right, we talked enough about this one. It is time to move on to Mark. All right. So my fantasy series, it came out. The first book came out in 2007. It was written by Patrick Rothfuss. And just by saying that name, that either invokes so much rage in you because you're waiting for the third book to come out like everyone else for 10 years or in so much satisfaction at the exact same time. Because I'm talking about the King Killer Chronicles. Uh, the first book is the Wise Man. No, the first book is Name of the Wind. And the second there book is the Wise Man's Fear. Uh, first book came out in 2007. Second book came out in 2010. And we're waiting for book three. Which is supposedly supposed to come out this fall. I, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. No, let's just put, yeah, uh, it's like um, Half-Life 3, that same thing. We will believe it when we see it. Um, so the King Killer Chronicles, the reason I love it so much is because it was the first fantasy series I read um, for like enjoyment as an adult. It was the book, it was the gateway drug, if you want to word it that way, into liking fantasy again. Because I went through a period, I grew up a big reader. I read Harry Potter. I read uh, Gregor the Overlander was one, the per- Percy Jackson. I mm-hmm. read so many of the kids' books. Then I got into high school and I stopped reading, got into college, and I turned into academic reading, which ruined reading for me. And so it took a... <laughs> <laughs> Look, when you're reading art papers and you're like, I don't know what half these words are, you just... Reading is out the door. Um <laughs> so I dropped out of college and I started reading uh, a little bit more. I read The Hobbit, which I read when I was younger. And so that was kind of like my first book I got reading again. Um, but the book that really like took it for me and captured my attention was The Name of the Wind. 
I remember I read it in one week, specifically five days, uh, while all my friends were away. It was a year and a half ago while all my friends were away in another country. All of where we lived, Norman was empty. And so all I did was work and I uh, hammocked outside and read the book. And so um, I have not read a book that captured my attention and the way it's story built like Rothfuss has ever done. I would sit outside and just read how Rothfuss would. He's a slow paced writer. It It is not really. It's epic, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's episodic. It, you see the depth, the way he creates a depth of a character. The main character's name is Kavoth. You see him, he and he's the one you follow through the entire uh, thing. Uh, he starts as a kid, growing up into university and onward until he uh, into exploration and stuff like that. But the way Rothfuss writes at such a slow pace, where you actually get to know the depth and the pain and the hurt that. Kavoth has gone through in his life to get to the point where he is and there's a he's basically like a super genius smart kid but he's also completely normal at the same time um and people one of the lines in the book i may butcher this is like people must think i'm smarter than everyone he's just said no i just have a really good memory and so he's like i'm not smarter than anyone i just remember better than anyone and so he goes on to university and he, uh, from this traumatic experience in his past, uh, which sets up his antagonist um, to become a scholar and seek the name of the wind. It's in the book title. I don't feel bad for saying that. Roll wants, credits. <laughs> yeah. And he wants to become like, um, how do you say the guy's name? Chamberlain the Great? Taberlin the Great. Taberlin the Great. He wants to yeah. basically become Taberlin the Great. Um, but the way Rothfuss writes is so deep and so slow. And he probably has one of the best thoughts ever that I continue to let Noah and I have had extensive I think about conversations. It all the time on a daily basis. It is like, should I even just say it? It's. Yeah, you can talk I about think, it. Just talk yeah, about it in general. Just talk about it in general terms. It's the sleeping mind. It's the active mind and the sleeping mind. The waking mind and the sleeping mind. Yeah. And basically, that's how really relative a lot of source of power comes from is from the active mind or the sleeping mind in that universe. And the magic system in that universe is. I like I don't know how he came up with it. It's so smart. It's just so smart. It's also very it's like a weird magic system because it's super hard magic in that it has very clearly defined rules and stuff, but it's not easily understood by the audience. So it almost becomes a soft magic system by default, because even though he goes to learn about magic in a very like controlled environment, so to speak, there's also stuff that will just happen that doesn't seem to fit within the parameters, you know? And then you start, it's like, as it develops, you start to realize that it's almost like in Harry Potter, there's like a very specific way of doing things. You know, you have to have a wand, you have to have all this stuff. And then in this one, it's like, but then there's, you also know that even in Harry Potter, there's magic that happens outside of that. And what Rothfuss does so well is emphasizes the sort of hard rules, but then kind of explains to you that like the true magic happens like 
when you even supersede beyond that and get into your like sleeping mind, which is, I just, oh, it's so cool. Well, and you know, the name of the wind, I'm actually currently reading the book. So I'm about 400 pages into it. And the one thing that I think he does really well with the magic system is he does define the rules really well. But when these things do happen, you, you do feel a sense of wonder that you can only assume that the people in the book, the, uh, the other characters would also experience. So when you see something incredible happen, uh, I'm thinking specifically of when Kaboth uh, has a magic duel with another student. It's not, and it's not as deadly as it sounds, but he manages to win. And you sit there going, like, even in the book, Kaboth was, you know, he'd already written himself off. He's like, I've set myself up for failure. I'm not going to win this. And then he manages to pull it off. And it, you, you experience the kind of awe and wonder that, a magic system that he's made it sound like science up to this point, but he still manages to make you have some wall uh, on wonder by having these really um, extra powerful moments is what I'm going to call them. These moments where it's outside of the normal rules of the system. And I think that's what he does is create um, because this, uh, for the most part, the people know this, uh, the magic approach it from a very scientific point of view. So he does that without taking the on wonder away of the magic system. He and that, little nuggets. And that's like the cool part about the awakened mind and the sleeping mind, because the awakened mind is the hard magic system where it has clearly defined rules. There is it's like physics, uh, how the uh, system works. Yes. But then when he starts exploring the sleeping mind, that's when we start getting into the expansive powers that we can't even understand. And like the characters don't even fully understand quite yet. And my favorite character is the guy who's most in touch with his sleeping mind and he is insane and yet totally sane and I'm not going to I don't want to give anything else away by his character but it's so cool that even those crazy powerful moments are actually also explainable within the world it's just that it doesn't fit with it, it it's like on the surface it seems out of the bounds of the rest of the magic like it seems like it doesn't fit with all this other stuff but then you realize no that's actually still all of the same like it's all coming from the same place it does actually fit within the magic system it's just a different way of doing it it's almost like the like value of art like he has the sort of science version of it which is like powerful and then taps into something even deeper that almost goes into like beyond what you can understand just with your like conscious thought which i think is cool yeah i'm going to take a break from the magic system because we could probably talk so long about yes. that and we could it'll probably be its own episode just magic systems in general because there's avatar the last airbender there's the uh king killers there's sanderson and how he writes and like all that there's we can talk, have an entire episode about uh magic but something i also like about rothfuss is his character development and like the different races, not races, but um, ethnicities of characters and how they mm -hmm. have each have their own culture. I'm thinking of a specific culture in the second book. Um, they don't show emotion besides a hand signal. And like, I would never would have thought of that and how he creates and makes how it makes sense within the story is just incredible. I think. And, and again, I'm, I, I guess I'm experiencing this book with fresh eyes, so I haven't even completed the first book. And so everything is fresh in my mind. But the thing I enjoy about the pictures, Mark, speaking to that piece is he reveals 
the cultures. He reveals the history of the the mythical four corners of civilization, not by saying, and this, you know, this culture is this way, and this culture. What he does is he provides these small interactions with a you know a variety of different characters, and so you kind of have to ascertain the culture from these interactions. You have to understand how they interact, and then uh, one thing I really appreciate is I think. In English, right, it's kind of hard when you go language to language to understand idioms. So like don't look a gift horse in the mouth. We understand that idiom uh, immediately, right? But if you go – you try to translate it to a different language, it's kind of hard. They're like, why would you not look a gift horse in the mouth? Like what's what's the point of that? But he has this interaction in the book where they're explaining these different idioms, and it, and it kind of reveals this one culture that is very – you know, word heavy. They're very wordy. They like these really complex idioms with, uh, you know, different minute levels of detail. And then the this different culture, they literally just they're very blunt and direct. And he kind of provides an idiom to describe. It. And I think it's just very clever writing that instead of saying this is how they are, this is how they will interact with each other, he just provides these small interactions, even going so far as to idioms, which I think is just really clever writing and wordplay. So hats off to him. <laughs> and last thing I'm going to touch on is everything is also Kavoth is also a musician. So everything he does also has a story attached to it. There is always a background story that is explained. It's not like traditional history of like, this is the facts. It's let me use a lore to explain what is happening right now. And so Rothis has done a really good job of creating music and creating lore to build this, um, place this universe this um yeah it's just this universe of lore and unknown and mysticism through music through poetry which kavoth does not like but that's a whole nother story so speaking of complex and perfectly and brilliantly thought out magic systems randy why don't you tell us about the stormlight archive <laughs> yes so as uh noah just mentioned i I'm going to be discussing my favorite fantasy series right now. Maybe second. Um, but whoa, whoa, whoa. Is, I said maybe second. Um, is, yes, the Stormlight Archive uh, by Brandon Sanderson. Um, I want to say the first book was... 2010. Uh, 2010. 2010, thank you. Um, so it has been out for a while. I am very late to... Uh, um this this series i believe i started reading it in like october of 2019 um so it, it yeah i am fairly new to it but um i think so th there are a few things that i just absolutely love about it the first um for me is the world building that uh sanderson does um so for me um a little bit of backstory. So I was a DM, a dungeon master, playing Dungeons and Dragons for a bunch of people. And one of the things I loved is that it allowed my friends and I to build this amazing world. Um, it was it was just one of the funnest times I had in college. But um, what Sanderson does so well is he will. Um, so the the story takes place on mainly one one place really. Um, called the shattered planes but i don't think i'm giving anything away by saying that um but it's just at random times he'll bring in these things from like other countries other continents and it's like well where did that come from it seems like 
he has this whole his whole world uh, just built out um completely um which i think is just amazing like one person built this entire world um again i just find that super amazing super inspiring Oh, and one thing that's really cool about that too is that not only does he have like all the worlds built out, but like a certain character will reference a manuscript of a volume of a historian of a country halfway across the world. And it's just like said, like, oh, of course that exists. And then they'll mention another one, like even like the minute detail. I'm, I'm assuming he doesn't have like every single history of everything actually written out. But the fact that he has those sorts of details even included within the story makes it feel so much more immersive and real than if he just says that group of people. But it's like, even the details of this writer says this about this culture, this writer says this about this culture. And so it makes it feel like this is a real place almost. And it it almost also um, bringing Noah's point up about the like historian saying this, it reminds me it's almost um, Tolkien esque of So I think that most of us have read or seen, or maybe both, um, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Um, But there's so much um, detail in just those three, or those two, um, that come from this other book that I wrote called The Samarillion, which is like the history before, I think, everything that happened. So like in Lord of the Rings, I mean, it came out a while ago, so spoiler, but not really a spoiler. There's these in Lord of the Rings, they come upon these three statues of these three um, ogres or trolls. Thank you. And they're just there and they come upon them. It's like, oh, well, those are there. But then you can go back and read The Hobbit and like, oh, these are the trolls that the dwarves and um, Bilbo came across in their story. And it's just it's really cool um, to see that. And there's lots of instances. I don't want to get into specifics because trying to remain spoiler free, but he does that a lot with his world building. Um, Like Noah said, like the historian or just bringing in this people group where it's like, oh, where they're there and they fall like this code of ethics or the the way of living. It's just it's super cool to like see that. Um, So that's one of the things that really like got me into it, kind of like the first I guess hooks that kind of really got me into the series. Um, the second thing uh, that really, well, I, I shouldn't say the second thing. One of the many things that got me hooked was that uh, Sanderson has a way of, and he he's a gifted author, I think for this reason alone, even if his writing wasn't fantastic was he's so good at putting you into that moment of the book. Um, I remember in the prologue of the first book, I was just like in awe. Like I was there and I was like, oh, he's doing this. And then he's doing this. Like, wait, how did that happen? And it's like I was there like standing next to this character or fighting right next to this character. Um, And there's been very few authors um, who have done that. I think there's like I I could probably name on one hand of where every time that I was reading their book, it's like I was standing there. Well, you know, it's one of those things. So I am in the middle of reading Name of the Wind. I haven't gotten to read through the Stormlight archives yet. But from what you've told me, one, the Name of the Wind, it's a little slower paced. It's focused more on one character, but that allows for greater understanding of that character because Kavoth is ultimately what the story revolves around. Could you maybe compare that a little bit with the Stormlight archives, a little bit what that writing style looks like? 
Yes, yeah, so that is actually what I was going to talk about next. Um, I think we covered like actually putting you there. So with uh, Sanderson, so there are. So in let me compare it this way. So um, Rothfuss follows one character throughout the whole story, Kavoth. Um, and I've, I've only read the first book, so I, I haven't gotten to the second one either. But um, so. Sanderson follows. I'm going to say four people mainly. Um, and it's really cool because in each book, um, also without giving too much away, he follows these four characters, but in each of the novels, he also covers the backstory of one of the characters. Um, and, and I think he, so I think that he can do it a little bit, I'm going to say slower. It's weird because he can go into the details of characters slower than Rothus because this is he's planning on doing a ten-part series, um, which he's divided into two, so it's like five and five, so like five five books. He's he's only published three, and I think the fourth one is coming out this November, so November twenty twenty. Um, so the first five are going to cover like one time, and the second five are going to cover like a different time, if my understanding is correct. Um, but so what that allows him to do is to kind of present day, we'll say present day, because he goes back in the past present day, he covers a lot of the characters, just kind of like their day lives. But then in the in the past, when he goes back and talks about their backstories, he goes in deep. And um, I think one thing that he also does really well is he kind of goes into without like deep diving into like psychology of like each of the characters, he kind of brings forward like situations that made them the person they are today. Um, which again, like one thing I absolutely love because it, it was cool because um, in, I'm going to wrap this thought up, but in a certain way I connected with, with their, with the backstories of each of the characters, even though it probably wasn't as um, big or as, or as um, I can't think of the word. It wasn't as intense. I'll say intense as their experience was, but with every single character, I could kind of relate to a time in my own life of what they were going through in that time. And each backstory is crazier than the one before it. So you read the first book and you're like, that was pretty wild. But And you've, you're introduced to the characters. Then you read the second story and you're like, wow, that backstory was really intense. And you get to the third book and you're like, oh, oh, okay then. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was dark, but wow. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, just, yeah. it's so, but it totally fits. And the thing is, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel... um. It's not like for shock value. Like it totally makes sense with who the characters are and how it makes sense as like to how those things form them. Also, the last like a hundred pages of all of his, each of his books is just like literary heroin. Like you could, I just, I mean, uh, the second book is probably my favorite one, but like each, all three books so far, like the final conflict or battle, whatever you want to call it, it's like injected into my veins, please. Like just, I just <laughs> want it. I needles in my eyes. Like I just want to inhale it into my soul because it's so awesome. And just, when I talked about Harry Potter being satisfying at the end, Sanderson's endings of all three of the books, so satisfying. I was, taking all my points. Yeah, I was literally just about to say that exact same thing of like, my jaw, the last hundred pages of the second book has never been lower than any other book I've ever like it is the most epic and I like epic thing I've ever read because of the sheer amount of power within it and like the 
the abilities and every like I was again literary uh, heroine. I just could not stop reading it, and so so satisfying because you finally see. I won't even say the full potential, but like the full potential of so many abilities. Yeah. Well, I got to ask then, Randy, to you. Again, having not read the books, I would yeah. love to hear who your favorite character. And, you know, I didn't ask Mark this question because obviously mm-hmm. the story is centered around them both. So it's kind of, you know, you see so much of him. It's kind of hard not to identify with. Him. Yeah. But yeah. For the Anderson, only right answer to that question is is Professor Elodin. And I won't he, I will not be hearing any arguments at <laughs> <of> this time. <laughs> no, this, is, this is Randy's question. This is Randy's yeah. question. Randy's no, no I was talking okay. about the King Killer Chronicles. <laughs> oh, okay. So, OK, so. Uh, just just a warning before I do answer this question. Um, if you haven't read the Starlight Archive, um, Stormlight, don't. What did I say? Starlight. What? what? Said Starlight. Said Starlight. I've, yeah. I've done it before. Um, there's a character in a series that I'm interested in watching, and the main char- one of the characters is Starlight, and it's just thrown me off ever since. Um, Stormlight Archive. Thank you for correcting me. Um, when you get to about the last 150 pages, I would say, um, before you start reading it, take into account what time it is and what you have tomorrow morning. Because for me, the second book specifically, it was like, oh, I would say 1130 when I got to that like 150 page mark and I had to get up early for something. And I started reading it and I'm pretty sure I stayed up to like 2.30 to finish the book because it's like it was so action packed and so epic that I couldn't stop. Um, so just a little warning in case you haven't read it yet. Um, OK, but so as for my favorite character, so I've been thinking a lot about this uh, specifically for this episode, but then also just because. Um, so I, I think I finally came on to a conclusion that my favorite character is Kaladin, um, who is the main focus of the first book. Um, and again, I, I don't want to give too much away in case someone's excited to read it, but um, I think at the, the, the point in my life when I was reading that is backstory spoke to me in, in a certain way. And I think because of that situation that I was in, it did kind of connect with me just a little bit. Obviously, if you've read it, not as extreme as his was, but a little bit. Um, but there's a very close race for second. So I, I would say Kaladin is by far my favorite. But second place is between a character named Dalinar and Wit. There it is. And I was just waiting for Wit. <laughs> yeah, so da- Dal- Dalinar is also... So just the four characters that he follows mainly, I should say, because there's kind of uh, things going on throughout our... Um, Paladin, Shalon, I think I'm saying that right. Yes. Honor and Adolin. 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 Okay. But Wit, um, he has very tiny moments in all three so far books. When he's in them, he captures it. It's like you, there's nothing. Like Wit comes in and it's like everything stops and you're just focused on everything that he's doing. He is such a cool character. Well, uh, these are definitely three wonderful book series. Again, um, Harry Potter by J.K. Rowling, um, the King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothis, and then the um, Stormlight Archives by Brian Sanderson. 
Brandon, Brandon Sanderson. Brandon. Brandon Sanderson. Okay, forgive me. I haven't read it yet. Brandon Sanderson. But be sure to definitely check these out uh, down in the description below. We're actually going to have the names of the book series along with the author. So if you want to go check those out, be sure to check out your local library or you can order them on Amazon or pretty much anywhere where books are sold or checked out for free. But I'm super excited for next week's episode because we are going to be doing a deep dive into the meaning of art. And if it sounds complex to you, don't worry. We're going to have a great time as we always do. We're going to laugh. We're going to talk about what is art, uh, what did it used to be, uh, what is it currently. And more exciting than that, I'm actually going to let Mark introduce our next, co uh, our next new co-host for next week. Yeah, so um, I'm super excited because this person is the most important person in my entire life. It's my fiance. Uh, Michaela, she is, I'll let her explain her history with art, uh, but she's an art history minor. Um, and the only reason she's not an art history major is because you can't do anything with that degree. <laughs> and her dad would not pay for her college if she got an art, art history major. So she loves, she's in nonprofit administration. She loves what she does, but she loves art history and she's super passionate about about uh, classical art and like why that is art. And she can debate that for so long. And she has, she understands the history of art and the culture behind art. So I'm super excited uh, to have her on because she's, uh, if you've seen Goodwill Hunting, wicked smart. Um, wicked smart. Well, super we, smart in art well, history. We definitely can't wait to have her on. Be sure to join us on the Discord channel and tell us about your favorite fantasy book series of all time. We'd love to have a discussion, get some more recommendations, maybe some books we haven't read, maybe some books that we have read, and we can talk about how great they are. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning into the show. Randy, thanks for joining us tonight. It was my pleasure. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to check out our Discord channel. That's where you can connect with other nerds of a feather, have fun conversations, and even suggest your own episode ideas. Discord members will be the first to hear about bonus content, including our soon-to-be infamous pre-show and after-show. If you want to get to know us better and create a community with other nerds, check out the link in the description below. Trust me, you do not want to miss it.